This is The Business We've Chosen, a podcast about art and business. As a former entrepreneur turned artist, I realized that being an artist is basically like running a small startup. And you, the artists, are the CEO. In this podcast, I interview successful artists, gallerists, collectors, and talk real numbers. Talk about their businesses, growth hacks, tools and tricks, and how they actually became successful. Hopefully teaching us all a trick or two. This is episode three, and I am Kaladni, your host. This week, we are interviewing a former financier, term mixed media pop artist, Jared Schwab. I'm excited to learn about his journey, so let's jump right in. Let's give a little history of how you decided to become an artist one day. Hey, all right. So uh, my name is Jared Schwab, like Sean mentioned. Uh, I use the Instagram handle at vehement art. So before Sean asked me this question, I'm just going to go ahead and explain to you as I was building my website. I see all these people with really cool names and I'm like, jsfineart.com is so boring. And I'm a big Mac fan. And on my Macs, a dictionary pops up as my screensaver. And as I'm sitting with my web developer and the word vehement pops up, you know, strong with passion, forceful. And I'm like, is vehementart.com available? And it was. And that's kind of how the name vehement art came to be, to be honest with you. I'm the kind of guy that just flies by the seam of his pants. Um, I'm 43 years old. My background is in the financial world. I've worked on Wall Street my entire adult life. I still am on Wall Street, just on a different side of it. Um, always loved art. Never, ever picked up a pen or pencil or paintbrush, except for maybe in elementary school a little bit. But I always loved drawing spheres for some reason and shading. And ago almost five years ago we had a really bad day in the financial market um for what i specifically trade and my father and his wife were just down and bought my kids and my soon-to-be ex-wife knock on wood thank god um these newer coloring books that they sell like michael's they're they're called adult coloring books they don't include like adult photography it's just a little bit more difficult so on and so forth i was coming home from work in a horrible mood couldn't stand my wife at the time, said, how can I reconnect with her? Let me go buy one of these books from Michael's. So I go to Michael's, pick out one that looks like tattoos, pick up the best set of pencils, the most expensive set of pencils, markers, pens, everything, come home, start coloring with her for two hours. For the next week and a half, literally I had blisters on my hands and I could not stop coloring in my coloring book. And... Um, you know, people would look at the coloring book and be like, oh, you're very artistic. And I would joke and I apologize and say, you mean autistic, not artistic. And I'm like, it's a coloring book. Like, how difficult is it to color in like a coloring book? And everyone's like, people don't color like that. Fast forward a couple of days later, I'm a pretty decent art collector, um, both blue chip art um, for investment purposes and emerging artists. I love artists from all over the world. And there was this artist from Connecticut that I bought these two works for in my dining room. And I wanted four panels going up my stairs in my house. So I contacted him and he wanted like $15,000 a piece. And I'm like, hold on a minute. I'm going to Michael's. I'm buying some canvas. I'm buying some paint and I'm going to make something interesting. So I went I bought three panels. I bought spray paint. I bought acrylic paints. I bought brushes. I bought resin. And I proceeded in one of I have a big garage and one of my three car garages, I started to paint. And I put together this like three piece triptych of hot pink, black, yellow, gray, and all these colors with resin dripping down and all of these things. 
And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Now I got to get bigger ones and do bigger ones. I have a friend who owns a commercial gallery down here, like mostly princesses. Come on, bring it down by the gallery. We'll hang it up. We'll sell it. We'll see what happens. So I go down there. I drop it off. I take a photograph of it. I put it on Facebook. And I go, I found my artistic side. Within a minute or two, I get a message from a friend of a friend. Oh, my God. Who is that artist? We need to own a piece by him. That is exactly our style. I'm like, I'm the artist. And they're like, aren't you in the financial world? And I was like, yeah, but I also like to make art. How much is it? I'm like, $3,000. They're like, we'll take it. And I was like, what? Like, what just happened? Like, someone just bought something that I just made in my garage on a canvas, like having no idea what I'm doing. I just continued to go with that. I just started painting more in my garage. I started, you know, figuring out how to use some of the different materials. I watched some videos on YouTube about multi-layer stenciling and all of these other things. And I would kind of mirror things that I had seen before. And I would use a lot of markers to draw, you know, smaller pieces that would kind of mirror like something along the lines of more of an Andy Warhol type look that included like, or a Mr. Brainwash, something that I had seen before, I owned before that I can incorporate in with my own style. Um, that led to me reaching out to an old friend who I had purchased some art from that lived in Florida. We started talking a lot and hanging out and we'd be at Starbucks and people just started to come over and just start asking questions. And then I got like a commission or two. I did two commissions. And then my old camp counselor said, I have a friend who owns a gallery in Florida. You should talk to him. We spoke. He owns a blue chip gallery. No interest in my work at all. Nothing he deals with. And, but he happens to say, you know, listen, Art Basel's coming up. I have a booth at Context. I also took a booth at a show called Red Dot. Do you want to do something with the booth at Red Dot? Petrified out of my ass, I said, I have no idea what that means. He said, well, what we'll do is, is that, you know, you can have the booth. It's, you know, $20,000 for the booth. You'll make your work. Whatever you sell, you keep. I said, listen, I've never done this before. How about this? We split the cost of the booth and I'll give you 30% of whatever I sell. But the first of the first money I sell, the first, you know, $10,000 that you pay towards the booth goes back to you of whatever I sell. So you recapture your money first. Backtrack a little bit. There was a couple of other artists I really like. I found a little bit more about photography, taking photographs of things, pulling it onto Photoshop, printing on metallic paper, mounting to acrylic mounts. So I created this whole body of work of pieces that I painted, photographed, altered on Photoshop. I brought 16 works down. He agreed to this. I do the show at Red Dot in December of 2016. I sold every single piece on the wall but one. Uh, a gallery in London and overseas bought like six pieces. Collectors in California, uh, London, Australia, all over the country and all over the world bought my works. And some of them were, you know, a little bit smaller and they were taking them out. And some of the other galleries just started coming over to ask me questions like, what's going on here? And next thing you know, I'm in galleries in New York, New Jersey, Aspen, and Vegas. And I just put my head down and continue to, you know, hone my craft and continue to make art and teach myself, you know, things that I was interested in. Loved Andy Warhol style, taught myself how to incorporate screens into my work, uh, moved away from the photography portion. And I just continued to go and go. And it was something I was very passionate about. 
And like any passion, it became a business. It became very stressful. And I lost a little bit of interest in it, continued to do it, but it wasn't as much fun. Uh, went in some other directions and some other businesses, but continued to paint. And, you know, finally for me, have come up with, you know, my own kind of unique style for myself. I wouldn't say it's unique to the world because it isn't. But for myself, having come from never an art background, no education in art, nothing, being able to spray paint, paint with a brush, screen print onto a giant canvas and create something that I would like to hang in my own house has turned into a major business with myself and some pretty big galleries across the country and the world. And that's pretty much my story in, in, a, in a short minute. Thank you. So, so my question, I guess, uh, to, just to follow up on uh, just a little bit of process and a little bit, um, cause I know you, your work kind of started in one place, um, and then kind of floated, uh, more towards silkscreen, um, and kind of, uh, you know, a, a lot of pop, uh, pop icons and popular imagery. Um, how, how did the evolution of your, um, of your practice in terms of one finding silkscreen as as, uh, as a process because someone who has no experience in art like how did you stumble into that um, and then how did you realize that was the direction you wanted to head? Oh, well, I kind of started in that direction, but instead of silkscreening, I was doing multi-layer stencils and sitting there for a hundred and something hours cutting seven layers of different stencils and my fingers would be bleeding and I do the painting and it was really cool. But I, I, I had, there was something about the clarity of like photography that I like to look at when I look at a painting, not hyper-realism, but I like the look of like image transfer, Robert Mars, Andy Warhol, like that type of look. And I couldn't figure out how to get that look exactly in a shorter period of time without cutting my hands open. So I had asked a couple people, they introduced me to someone at a t-shirt shop, they burnt a screen for me and I kind of went with it. Um, as far as the imagery goes, you know, why do I paint pop culture stuff? I'll be honest with you, now that my art career has evolved and I've gotten quote unquote bigger, um, you know, I'm hoping to find something completely unique for myself and not use uh, pop imagery. I, I honestly do that because I know that it's something people recognize. So when I'm making a piece of art, 95% of the people that see it are going to be able to identify with it. If 95% of the people identify with it, that's going to turn into more sales. So that's kind of where that idea came from of the route that I was going. Again, I'm a financial background. Everything was about money to me. I wanted to sell, make art, sell it. That was my only motive. Now, obviously, I love making art and I love selling art, but there's now a portion of me that really wants to create something completely unique for myself and take what I'm doing to the next level and evolve even further. As many of us have, have, have as our careers have developed and our style has developed, um, uh, I have followed a similar path as I've gone through. Uh, I understand completely from kind of one series to another, and you kind of get to the end of your creative juices with one and then kind of try to move to the next thing and the next thing. Um, and by the way, anyone else on the stage, if you guys want to jump in, if you guys have questions at any time, um, feel free to chime in. Uh, the point of this is to, 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 you know, really understand, um, and, and, you know, get feedback from everybody. Um, Okay. I got, Sean, I got one. I got one for it, Jared. 
Jared, are you a product business or an art business? Um, I'm an art business. I wouldn't really use the term product business. Um, well, do you, I, do you, do you, do you like how so? Cause like you described a very like kind of, let's call it like a, a, a business focused mindset. You found the distributions or the galleries, you created things that you wanted to see, you sold them, you scaled, uh, you developed various techniques that allowed you to scale. What's the difference between selling products and selling art? And what is the well, difference between art and product? I think there's a big difference in selling art and product. Number one, when it comes to art, there's a creative process. So I'm putting a piece of me into an image. I'm creating something the way that I see it. However, that may be whatever colors, whatever the background is painted, whatever the movement of my hand is with a brush, with a spray paint can, so on and so forth. So while I'll say it started off more as an art business, started to turn more into a product business and now is evolving significantly more back into an art business. I, I, I really enjoy the creative process of taking something that I've seen before and creating a painting um, the way that I see it. So it, it is a good question, but I don't really know that when it comes to the art world, Maddie, when you ask that question, that if you look at the top selling artists in the world, they're a product business. They don't really get involved in the physical creative process of actually touching the canvas. They're the idea behind it. You know, that's just, that's just what they are. But for me now, it's becoming more of like, taking my time and being a lot more involved in my work rather than just putting something out in order to sell it. And what, what, what do you think brought you to that space where you could actually feel deeply about? I, I, to be honest with you, I, I think that every artist inside some way, shape or form has had that in them all the time. I was so clouded with the financial markets and making money and big houses and cars and all of these things. And as I continued in the art world and making art, those things became less important to me. Like, I mean, this, I'm not trying to sound like egotistical, but I was driving Ferraris, Maseratis when I first started painting and big houses and all these fancy watches. And now I wear a $150 Nixon watch. I drive a pickup truck. I still have the money to afford those things, but something shifted drastically inside of me where I guess that like artistic being inside of me came out and I want to be part of the process of creating something again, unique and different. I don't know exactly when that attachment came, but something inside of me shifted from, wow, I just don't want to make money selling art just to sell it. I want to create unbelievable things that I love and hopefully find something that makes a difference in the art world. Have you created stuff that you've loved that hasn't sold? And how does that make you feel? No, I have not created anything that I love that I haven't sold yet. And you to be sold everything you've created or you create or you haven't created stuff you've loved. I so have. OK, I do love the stuff that I create. I do love the stuff that I create. However, again, I'm searching for something completely unique. I don't know what that is yet. I don't know where my art takes a turn from doing things that are noticeable by people that are literally a, you know, pop art figure or a pop art brand with this, 
you know, painted background of layers and layers of different things to create this unique texture. I love my artwork and stuff I would hang in my house, most of it. Um, I wouldn't hang the brands in my house anymore. That's not something that I'm into, but everything that I've made, knock on wood, fortunately, for some reason, I've been really lucky and I would attribute it to luck, has sold. Final question for me for now, and then we'll open it up uh, because I've been hogging the mic, but I appreciate your answers, Jared. How much art have you sold? Um, in terms of dollar-wise or in terms of pieces? Let's do both. Let's do like a little bit of a PL. I would say over the last four years, um, I've sold uh, 150 pieces, maybe a little bit more. And I'd say total gross, I've probably in the last four years sold north of seven figures of art. Four and a half years, it'll be five years. Actually, I apologize. It's May. It's five years now. So in the last five years, I've sold north of seven figures. But again, I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm, I'm here talking about this, and that is all, all because of my business background. That's because I was able to market myself on Instagram and go from four and a half years ago, not having an account, to having 20 something thousand followers, to getting to myself into galleries, to getting collectors that, you know, are pretty big names, Mark Cuban, Floyd Mayweather, uh, you know, some, I have collectors, uh, Marcus Limonis from the, the Profit on CNBC bought 26 pieces two years ago that are all over the world in different places that people get to see. So it's been, you know, art for me is 95% marketing if you want to make money in the beginning and 5% the art. I mean, people aren't going to buy ugly shit just because you market it well, or maybe they will. Okay. One more question and then I'll go. I'm sorry. I keep on asking questions. Um, it's talk okay. Us through, talk us through like a sale to a Mark Cuban. Like, did you make work specifically for his taste? No. So discover it some other way. Mark Cuban bought my work. His designer was in a gallery in Aspen that I show at, and the designer walked in, saw one of my works, contacted him, and they bought it. It's actually a really fucked up story, part of my French, but it was actually a piece that got shipped directly from me because it was an addition of five pieces, each unique, all hand done. Each one was slightly different, but I did five of a very similar look, and it got lost in the mail. Um, and ended up getting demolished when I got it back. It was gone for like four and a half weeks, and I was afraid I was going to lose the sale. But as far as some of the other people, again, a lot of the stuff that gets seen is from people at galleries. So I mean, so, a lot of. Okay. So Jared, the the whole point of this of these talks and of of one of the reasons why I kind of reach out to you is because. It's it's about the the idea of of treat to be honest treating your art like a business right uh, many many of us uh, in the art world don't right they we we you know the, the creative side is overpowers the business side or the business side didn't really exist so the couple of the questions I would like to to kind of kind of go down the road is you know obviously some of it was right place right time you know, getting into Red Dot, which kind of showcased you to a bunch of galleries that then it showcased you somewhere else. Um, but obviously, you've been very good in terms of collector management, following up with collectors. Um, it seems like your Instagram um, 
uh, process and technique seem to be pretty good. Like uh, in terms of conversion from like what percentage of your sales comes from galleries versus from say Instagram? I would say probably at this point, close to 50, 50. I mean, I get a lot of sales from Instagram, like people from all over the country, Australia, that just literally contact me and commission a piece or purchase a piece that I've never met. So, and it's really strange. I, I don't know if anyone else has this experience, but it always seems to come like at the same time. Like I'll go a couple of days a week without selling a piece. And then all of a sudden four people will call me within two days, five people, six people and, and buy works. It's very weird. And how do you do you now question for you? Like, do you convert them? Your, do you convert them to yourself? Do you interact them as yourself? I know, you know, I always like play a trick. So I try to act bigger than I am. So I always ask people for like their email address. And then usually, even though I'm actually writing the email, I do it from like an assistant's email. So like assistant at your sales at seancolodney.com or sales at colodney.art, like whatever it might be to give the sense that my, my one man shop is actually a, a much larger organization. Um, how do you deal with your customers? Do you deal with them um, on a personal level or on a, a spread out level? I'm the complete opposite of you. I think one of the important things about art is the intimate connection that you can have with a collector. So I am intimately in contact with them. I don't, I speak to them on a regular basis uh, regarding their commissions. I don't try to make it seem like I'm any bigger, you know, than I am. You know, that's what I'm just being honest. That's what I did my entire life as I worked on Wall Street, the financial world. This is the one thing in my life where I'm like 100% pure. So I don't try to uh, try to act bigger than I am, I guess, when it comes to the art world. And I think uh, collectors appreciate that when they get to speak to the artist on the phone or stop by my studio and, and look around. I mean, people have like reacted crazy when they've come to my studio. And it's one of the most humbling feelings in the world when someone's like, I can't believe you invited me to your studio and so on and so forth. So I don't. I don't treat it the same way that you do. Not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just chose a different path. But in the in the beginning, it sounded a little bit like you did fake it till you. Hello. Hey, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, I lost the connection. Yeah, yeah. In 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 the beginning, it did sound a little bit like you faked it, faked it till you made it. The only thing I faked till I made it is when someone asked me who the artist was on my first painting, and I said. Me. I I also paint in the meantime. That was the only sale that I ever said anything along those lines. I'll tell you what happened after. A couple weeks after that, uh, painting sold. There was an artist, I don't want to mention names, that I really liked. And I was very interested in his work. And I saw it at a show and I called the gallery that represented him. And I said, I'm really interested in this work. Can you tell me a little bit about the process? And they're like, oh, it's a hand-painted canvas gold with a hand pulled silk screen so i asked the friend that owns the gallery like yeah it's a guy who either bought a gold canvas or rolled on some gold and had it screen printed on it and i reached out to the artist because i was very interested and i wrote something along the lines of wow your work is unbelievable i would love to know more i'm a brand new artist and he basically told me to fuck off and i swore from that day that anyone that messaged me anyone that asked any question that i would never do that and for me, that's benefited me. I have built some great relationships with artists, with galleries. I think one of the most important thing in the art world is a couple things. Number one, you can't get attached to your work. If you become attached to your work, you know, and you don't want to sell it because you don't want to let go of it, you know, people aren't going to want to buy it. So it is a product in that sense. 
Number two is the honesty with galleries. You have galleries in Aspen that are paying gazillions of dollars a month for rent. And all of a sudden, someone goes in there and sees my work and then calls me on the side and says, oh, I saw your work. I'd like to buy one. Can I get a better deal? I always call a gallery and say, hey, someone contacted me, so on and so forth. Just to give you an example that happened with Marcus Lamonis, who spent $180,000 on a couple of pieces. And I called the gallery and I negotiated down from 50% and said, I did everything. You know, I'll give you 20%. So I wrote them a check for $36,000 instead of a check for $90,000. But you know, one of the most important things is doing that. If you ruin your name in the art world, in my opinion, like there's, there's no going back from that. If you're one of the people that are selling behind people's backs, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I try to stay very true to myself and very true to everybody around me. But I will tell you one thing, very simply, every single person, and I apologize if any are on here, every single gallery owner on the planet, I don't trust anyone in some way, shape or form. So you also have to be very careful with your artwork. I also try to make it like very exclusive, my artwork. I don't do prints. I don't do a piece for $10,000 or $15,000 and then sell 50 prints of it. So anyone can have that piece. I want the person who's buying that piece to hang on their wall to be the only person on the planet that has that piece of artwork. So I'm very careful with my brand in that sense also. So a question for you. So uh, I guess I have a couple questions for you. Um, Actually, a lot of questions. So I'm, gonna, I'm taking some notes for myself, and then I'll kind of ask. So you you obviously rep by a bunch of different galleries in a bunch of different places. How do you decide how many pieces each get? How do you keep track of the inventory and who has what? How long do you let them keep a piece of art before you take it back or decide that it's time to, to not work with that gallery anymore for whatever particular reason? So I have not come up with an exact time frame. Usually when we sign a contract, it's usually for uh, – 12-month period that they get the artwork for. You know, everything's discussed beforehand, shipping-wise, framing-wise, all that stuff is put into the contract. And I use my previous history from business to try to negotiate better terms typically because I don't want to pay for everything. This way I'm not at risk if, God forbid, I ship, you know, 10 pieces to a gallery and it costs me a couple thousand dollars to ship the works over there and make them that I'm then stuck on the hook for that. They could, you know, keep it for as long as they want. And I'm the one who's out all the money. So I'm very careful in that sense. As far as inventory wise, every gallery is different. So depending on the gallery of what they're asking for, typically I ask them, you know, what are you looking for? Like how many pieces would you like? And typically a lot of these gallery owners know their clientele and can give you an idea of what works that I make would fit into their criteria. Sometimes I argue with them and say, I'm telling you that people love Jimi Hendrix and so on and so forth. And they'll argue with me and then I'll send them one. It'll sell immediately. And now every week the gallery in Aspen's asked me to make a Jimi Hendrix piece. And I'm like, I'm not going to just keep making a piece with a very similar image on it. So on and so forth. Jared, um, Jared, can we, can we back up to this idea of you like negotiating with galleries and like you thinking through your cost structure and how to structure deals with galleries where you send them the right number of works to get prepayment and that kind of stuff. Okay, so when it comes to overseas, if I'm selling to a, if I'm doing something with a gallery overseas that I don't really know so well, they're paying they're paying for the work up front and they're paying for the shipping. So I'll negotiate a deal where they'll get fifty percent off the work because that's typically what a gallery split is. Most galleries are fifty fifty split. If it's an unbelievable gallery, that is i'm not saying gagosian and obviously i'm nowhere near that but some of these bigger galleries will keep 60 percent and give you 40 percent typically the structure is you make the work you pay for the shipping there 
they pay for anything from there. They pay for framing if they want to frame it while it's there. They pay for shipping back to you or shipping to the client, so on and so forth. So I try sometimes, depending on the gallery, if it's a smaller gallery that's relatively newer, like I don't, my work sells at other galleries. So I'll say, you know, listen, I don't, you know, I want 70% and I'll try to negotiate just a little bit of better terms for myself so that I'm not fully at risk for the cost. Because some of the pieces I was making, those acrylic mounts were, you know, just for the piece of acrylic to get mounted was $1,100 plus shipping of it. So I'm in the hole for $1,500 per work versus a canvas that cost me 30 bucks. So I'm very careful. So, 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 you're, so you're saying you'll get a gallery to pay you up front for the work, like somewhere between 30 and 50% and then Overs- it's on them to sell it and make their margin. If I can negotiate that. Yes overseas like twice i did that one for like 15 works and one for like five works those were the two overseas i said i'm not sending them work because if they decided not to send it back to me i might get on a plane and go argue with them and try to figure out how to get it back i made them buy it at you know what i called wholesale pricing whatever that was 50 percent off and then they paid for shipping and maybe i kicked in a little bit towards shipping because it was worth it to me as far as most of the galleries go in the states a lot of the time it's going to sound funny because I wanted them to have skin in the game also because I'm just sending them works. Like I'm just like, here's my art that people are buying, sell it. Like they have no risk. Yes, they have rent. They have this stuff. I've made a lot of gallery owners purchase one of my pieces for their private collection. So they have skin in the game. I, and, I have also, I have also done that. I sold a, a bulk of works at a discount to a gallerist in London so that my risk was taken care of and then they had product to sell. Exactly. Because if they, they, they tell me how great they are, how much they're going to sell. And I say, when they talk such a big game in the beginning, I say, you're telling me how much of my work you're going to sell. I'm telling you that I will give you a better deal if you buy them up front. Put your money where your mouth is. You know, yeah, here's- like for, for example, it's like, here's the work at cost, uh, at my cost, my material cost, my labor cost, my shipping cost. And retail could be three times that, and you stand to make the margin so long as you go out and actually sell it. And that's how you build an international gallery relationship. Is that what exactly. I'm hearing from you, Jared? Exactly. I 100% agree with that. But when, it's, when you start to get into a different echelon of galleries, that does not work. They're not going to be buying. Like, I just got into a gallery out in California. Um, that uh, has an 18,000 square foot gallery. They show some major, major artists. And like, I wouldn't even think to ask the lady to purchase my work. I'm actually doing a show out there in November in uh, Palm Springs, California. So it's really gallery dependent on who I'm talking to. If I don't know you from Adam and I've never heard of you. And I go on your Instagram and you have 8,000, you have, you know, 1,300 followers. You have some really cool artwork. Like, and I don't really want to be fully represented by that gallery in the sense of, you know, no, they decided to buy some works to resell it. I'm okay with that. When it's a gallery that I want to represent my name as an artist and my brand, then I don't have a problem doing some sort of consignment agreement. How do, how do you do that risk assessment in your mind? Um, again, it's years of being in the business world. I'm talking to someone the way they talk to me and what comes out of their mouth. So I'm like very careful, but I, a lot of the times so, I so, go on so their Instagram. Let, let, let's get specific though. Like what are those things that you're looking for from a gallerist to say, 
Um, you know, oh, we have so many followers on Instagram. We have a huge gallery and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go on their Instagram and they have 30,000 followers. They get four likes per picture, no comments. I'm like, okay, they bought all their followers, so on and so forth. Or, you know, I can get you $20,000 for this piece. We have other artists. Yours is so much nicer. Like different things like that, like that. But the, so red you, those are red flags. But what are like the, what are the green lights for you? and thinking of working with a gallerist and de-risking your ability to consign work to them? So a green light would be, number one, obviously a gallery that I've heard of. Um, number heard two... Of, heard, of, heard of meaning like they've been in an Art Forum magazine article? Art Forum magazine. I've seen them at uh, Scope. I've done Scope. I've seen them at uh, Art New York. I've seen them at Art on Paper. I've seen them at Art... Uh, Palm Springs or LA, other shows that I've seen that I've been there and seen them and then they reach out. Um, another, you know, green light for me is the, the caliber of artists that they're carrying. When I go look and there are artists that are doing this a lot longer than I have, that I have a lot of respect for as an artist, not always blue chip names because it's very, very rare. Sometimes a gallery will contact me and say, Hey, I love your Bitcoin pieces. I'm doing art on paper. And next thing you know, I have Bitcoin pieces being released at art on paper in New York, hanging next to Andy Warhol, Jean-Michel Basquiat, uh, Alex Katz, and then my three Bitcoins because he thinks he's going to sell it there. Like that's was very cool to me. But typically I, I look at the caliber of artists that they're carrying. And to me, when I say caliber artists that I've become to know or respect that I follow that I know some information about and I'm like wow it'd be really cool to hang on the wall with guys like that so another question I have for you Jared is how do you go about and how how has it evolved how do you price your work and how have you decided and I assume that price has increased as you you've become as the <clears throat> demand has increased um, how do you decide between what's pricing for galleries, what's pricing direct to consumer, or what's pricing for commissions? Uh, okay. What are the things that go through your mind to, to make those decisions? My price, whether you buy it from me or buy it from a gallery, is the exact same amount. Typically, galleries usually get 15 to 20% leeway. So I have a piece for 10000 They can go down to 8000 without calling me. I do the same thing with my own work. I don't price my work below where a gallery is going to sell it because then I'm just going to ruin my relationship with that gallery. As far as my pricing structure, I price by size. So I charge and call. Is that six. like a square? Is that a square foot issue? Like, do you price like per square foot? Do you square, square foot? For I'm at like six hundred and fifty to seven hundred dollars a square foot is what I charge for my work. And that and way, then, you have a clean assessment, no matter whether it's a twelve by twelve or. 48 by 48, the, the, the price is in essence consistent. Exactly. So I'll, I'll, ma I'll make a 48 by 48 piece, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, and it'll be an acrylic mount. And a 48 by 48 piece mounted to acrylic will cost me almost $1,000 to have it made after I'm done making it. After I'm done creating it, to get it printed on metallic paper, to have a robot sign my name in Las Vegas, so it's my signature and to have it mounted. And when I say mounted, I mean perfectly. will not go out of this place. They do all the mounting and uh, framing for National Geographic. That's why I chose them. They're triple the price is $1,000. That piece for 48 by 48. So that's uh, four by four is 16. Whether it's acrylic mount or I bought a canvas and I get a lot of my Another thing is I've gotten some sponsorships from canvas companies and paint companies and ink companies. 
that canvas cost me zero dollars. I used ten dollars worth of paint. So I'm into the piece, not including my labor and everything else, but call it 20 bucks into it. I sell those pieces, even though one cost me a thousand for the exact same amount of money, because nobody gives a shit how much money it costs or how much time it took you to make the piece of art. Nobody cares. Or I take that back. Very few people care how long it took you to paint something and how much money you spent in making the product. So then what are they paying for, Jared? What are they paying for? Yeah. So like anything else in the world, art is what someone is willing to pay for it. And art evokes an emotion. So when you're looking at a piece of art and you connect with it, they're, they're paying for that. They're also paying, in my opinion, I've gotten to know every single one of my collectors pretty much, maybe not some of the ones from galleries. You know, we've built a rapport and a relationship. So they're getting a piece of art I, on I their guess- wall. The, the the art evokes emotion thing is something I hear often. What are the emotions that you think your art evokes with a collector that leads to its saleability? Okay, so again, every single person is different. So some people will look at a picture and see something that reminds them of, like I did a Muhammad Ali piece, and I have a collector that comes in and just goes, "Oh my God, I have to have this." My dad had this, you know, photograph of Muhammad Ali hanging over Sonny Liston my entire life. It was his favorite picture. I have when he passed away. I had this whole thing made. I love this piece. I have to have it. So it's, I mean, that's like a personal question for every single person. It's different, you know. But you're every, making you're making you're making art that appeals to particular emotions. Are you conscious of the emotions that you're trying to elicit from your viewer, or is it happenstance? I think it's happenstance. I don't specifically go into anything trying to think I'm trying to evoke this kind of emotion. I am leaving it up to the interpreter to decide why they connect with that piece of art. Because if I go and tell you when you come in and you're looking at a piece of my art and you're connected it for a reason, and I'm going to tell you why I made it and why I think you should be connected it, and it's the opposite, you're not going to buy the artwork. And I know that to be a fact because I saw a piece of artwork, call it eight years ago, I fell in love with at like a fair in Delray Beach. And I'm like, I have to buy this piece. It is unbelievable. It was like robots and it had like Keith Herring and Basket. And the guy gave me a whole speech on why he made it and what it represents. And I said, and I was literally about to buy it for like eight grand. And I said, thank you very much. And I walked away. You know, art is very, art is very personable. I'm not going to push why I think you need to be connected to this. I will tell you sometimes what went into it while I was making it and what my thought process was, but I'm not going to tell you what to feel. Now, gallery owners will do different when they're selling it to their collectors. Gallery owners have been in this business for years. Some of them have studied art. Some of them will write a three-page dissertation on the information of what went into making this art piece because people want to hear that. I stay out of that business, and it's been successful. I think that's why people lose sales in art. If I'm going to sit here and tell you why you need to own this piece and what it means to me and exactly why I made it, a lot of people don't want that. Let them connect to the piece of art first. Then, you know, I work off of that. Again, so art it, that so so but I think what we're we're talking about is like populist emotions as a driver for art sales. Okay. So the idea that art ought to be created to elicit populist emotions leads to its saleability. Again, I think one of the reasons why my art sells well is because it's recognizable by a lot of people. And that's and, an emotion, like yeah. connecting, like being so I, able I to think, relate. So if I backtrack a little bit, I think one of the major things that 
of why I'm making my art is because I know that most people will connect to an image that they've seen in along those ways. And then I incorporate into the background kind of me as a human being. You know, my life is very, you know, there's a lot going on in my life. There's a lot of layers to myself. When you're looking from far away at one of my paintings, you're seeing an image, but when you get up close, there's a lot of details in the background, a lot of history, a lot of textures. And that's kind of who I am as a human being from away from me. When you look at me, I think every artist, when they make art, doesn't realize that their art contains themselves in it. And I've had people point out to me, like, your paintings with diamond dust on it are exactly you. They're beautiful from far away, but if you get up too close, I'm going to cut you. Don't touch me. And it, like, made me think. So I don't know that I'm there yet of what you're explaining, that I fully connected with the inside artist. But, you know, I guess that's part of the journey is discovering it. I have another question for you in reference to your, your relationship with collectors. Now, when you say you, you, you try to make a relationship and you, so do you try to get them on the phone quickly? Do you try to just communicate by email? Like I'm more interested in the block and tackle and nuts and bolts of it, of like how you would, like someone hits you on Instagram, I'm interested in X, how you convert that into like, cause clearly you're converting, right? Like your, your, your funnel seems like it's pretty strong and your conversion rate seems pretty high. So what are the things that you do that you think contributes to that high conversion rate? Okay. So one of the things I've noticed is a lot of people will reach out and say, I love this piece. So, you know, I really want it. And, you know, instead of blatantly saying, can you afford it? A lot of the time I will ask some questions. Like, hey, where do you live? Where do you want? Where, where are you thinking about putting this piece? Can you send me a picture of the wall that you're thinking about? Hang on, I'll tell you if it, you know, I think fits well. And someone will send me a picture of like linoleum floors with a 50-year-old stove. And I'm like, you know, this is just not going to be, there's no way in God's name that they're going to be able to afford the painting. A lot of people call and, you know, I love so, 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 so Jared, just, I want to break down that step. So you're asking people, which wall in your house do you think you'll hang it on? Can you send me a picture? sometimes yes that's I, fucking genius that's such a cool sales move so i will say you know listen where in your house are you thinking about hiding it can you send hang it can you send me a picture and i've had people or or but, hide it because if they but, say but, they're gonna but, hide but, it they probably are a better buyer right when when, <laughs> when this is somebody that i have no idea who they are and i get a message on instagram and they have 26 instagram followers and no posts i love your work i want to buy some of your work whatever and I say something like that, and this fucking guy sends me back a goddamn picture of this house that I thought I was going to die from, and he bought three paintings for $42,000. Flew out to Florida, came to my studio for two hours, we sat down, we hashed out what I was going to make, and gave me a check for half of it, and went back to uh, Colorado, and you know, three months later when I was finished with it, shipped it out to him, and whatever. But that's sometimes a question that I will ask understand you know what other artists do you have you know things like that when someone's like oh yeah the most expensive piece of art i ever bought is five hundred dollars i'm like i'm gonna be asking this guy for ten thousand dollars and chances are it's just gonna be a waste of my time now here you i'm sorry go ahead sean let me me go on to this because i've got one more question to jared who i think jared i've gathered you're quite a smart guy uh i'm really impressed with this conversation thank you for having it with us Thank you guys for having me. So I, I mean, Sean is an unbelievable guy. We met a couple of years ago and 
he's highly intelligent and listening to you guys the other day was amazing and the amount of words that you guys use that i don't understand so <laughs> it was okay, like, right. i was very intrigued by everything we we can save we can save the congratulatory paths for the end i just wanted <laughs> to say that in advance of this next question okay so um you're, you're talking about this sales funnel and this this one question which you ask, which I, I kind of like decided was a question you ask, which is where is it going to hang in your house, is an interesting component of the sales funnel. And I know there are a number of technologies that can enable you to kind of automate your sales funnel. Have you thought about that? Are you working with any? And do you think that that will enable you to scale your career or how do you take it to the next level? Is it technology or is it something else? I don't want to go the technology route. Um, not because I am discounting it in any way, shape or form. I physically enjoy talking to people and getting to know them, whether they can afford my art or not. So I don't want to rid myself of, of that portion. So you know, what takes me to the next level? Um, it is how many calls a day do you want to take? And like how, and then how do you optimize that is the question, I guess. Uh, it's not, listen, I'm not getting, I'm not there yet where I have to worry about how many calls I'm getting a day. When I get a message, someone says they love my work. They're definitely interested in something. What is your budget? One of the first questions out of my mouth also. When they tell me a thousand dollars, I say, listen, unfortunately none of my work's in that range. You know, whatever it may be, or if someone tells me it's, you know, I really love this piece. How much? Uh, five. Oh, I was really looking to only to spend thirty five hundred, and then we go from there. But I'm not at the point right now where I need to like automate something. Um, I don't know if I ever will be at that point. I'm kind of looking to take again my career to. Uh, <laughs> it's just weird well, you, it sounds this. like it sounds like you're creating price floors at least. Yes, definitely creating price floors. But you're deciding you're deciding that not all revenue is created equal and you've decided that like your work is worth a certain amount of money and you're not willing to accept anything else. Are you throwing those people into like another funnel that you convert over time? Have you seen that work? Yes, I've had people who literally are telling me that they're saving their money to buy one of my pieces and two years later will contact me and go, All right, I saved seven thousand dollars, what can I get? That's rare. But, you know, I also am you know, if someone comes to me and, and they're not in my price range, again, I know other artists who are, so I'll refer other artists over. I'm not trying how to. Do, how, do, how does how does an artist become part of that network? Um, like how do they? <laughs> they become friends of mine that I have respect for, that I like, and they'll. It's nobody specific. It'll be someone that I have a relationship with in some way, shape, or form. That'll someone will call me and say, "Have you ever done a Bruce Springsteen?" No, I haven't. Not that I'm not willing to do one, but I know someone that has one. That's just how I am as a human being. I'm programmed like that. Like I'm the type of guy that wants to be the best. I don't want everyone else to do bad. I want everyone else to do well too. I just want to be the best. So I'm always trying to reach my hand out and help anyone that I can. I just want to be number one. Do you call collectors that you've already sold to at later points and you know do you call them again to try to upsell them or resell them or sell them in the future do you like go back out or do, do you let most of it become inbound i definitely go back out sometimes um usually when someone says oh i definitely want to get another work from you sometime down the road i never forget that and i will literally be like hey how you doing i know you mentioned something you know what are you looking to do 
I'm not ready yet. You know, definitely I'm closing on a new apartment in Manhattan, you know, once I get in there and I just stay on top of everything. And when I say everything, I'm sure there are things that slip through my fingers that I don't remember. But for most of all, like, I remember that. It's like, someone wants to buy my work. Like, I'm going to remember that shit. So, Jared, and art is a job. It is a hundred percent a job. And it's 24-7. When I, when I first what, started, what percent, what percent is like producing work versus just like making the operation happen? That's a hard question to answer. Let me, let me say this. When I first started and I was painting and making whatever I was making, I would spend hours, hours a day on Instagram, hours looking through things, liking things, talking to people, answering messages, hours a day, posting, posting a story, po you know, doing all this stuff. I don't do that as much anymore. Um, and I find that the algorithm for Instagram now is horrible, but it hasn't changed my sales. It's what's really cool from, but from an ego standpoint, it definitely has changed. But a lot of work goes into, uh, uh, more work probably goes into the back end of it. You know, a lot of work goes into making the art. Don't get me wrong, but uh, there's a lot of moving factors behind that. Reaching back out to people, negotiating with people when they want to spend, you know, X amount of dollars and you're trying to convince them to spend a little bit more. They're like, I can't spend $11,000. The most I've ever spent on a painting is $4,000. Okay, why don't we do something a little bit smaller for nine grand? Or, you know, how about this? Typically, because it's a commission, so I could change my structure on that and I could kind of sell my piece for the same price that I would a non-commission, I'll say, listen, don't tell anyone this, but you know, I'm going to do this piece for $9,000, which I've never sold a piece this size for more than 8,500, but I'm saying this to them. So there's a lot of sales techniques that go into everything. You want the people to be happy with what they bought. That's another important thing. I will never, ever send a piece of art to someone unless they say, holy fucking shit, that is the sickest thing I've seen. I cannot wait to have it on my wall. And you showed that to them by a pictures in advance of shipping it? So here's the way I... Oh, I just got a check in the mail. Cool. Sorry. Not for art. Um, here's how I work with a commission. It's 50% up front. So if it's $10,000 commission, you give me $5,000. The other $5,000 is due on approval of the work. Once the work is done, approved, before I get it... If I'm getting it framed, before I get it framed. Before it gets picked up by the shipper, they get a picture of it. They okay the work. I send them the remaining invoice, they pay it. Got it. And are commissions ever not worth the work? Do you ever find yourself oh, in a situation with that dude. structure that it's like fucked up? And how do you kind of mitigate that risk? Commissions are horrible. I fucking hate every single one of them, if I'm being honest with you. There's nothing fun about doing a commission unless you get a guy that says, hey, I want this. I don't care what color you do. I just want your artwork. You're the artist. I love your work. I trust you. I don't want anything. Then you get someone who's like, it's blue. It doesn't match my pillowcase. And, and it gets to be like this crazy thing. But again, guys, I'm just being honest. Like, I love the sale. I love making the money. So got to suck it up. Got to make some changes. I'm sure at some point, maybe in my career, I'll say, you know what? I don't have time for this shit. Here's your $8,000 deposit back. I got no interest. But for me, it's really difficult to say that. So I got to spend a couple more hours on the, you know, between being on the phone and painting over something and redoing an area of it or so on and so forth. But I've never, 
really run across. I've had a couple that were like, uh, I hate this piece. I cannot believe that I'm doing it. I want nothing to do with it. I don't even like the finished artwork that they like. Like I've had pieces where like I was done and the guy's like, oh, I, I want a Biggie Smalls Notorious B.I.G. piece. And I do this amazing piece. Everyone goes nuts on Instagram everywhere. And he's like, I, it's a little weird that there's this giant black man's face in my living room. So I joke around and I fucking spray paint over the face like an idiot and go, oh, this is what you want. And he's like, that's perfect. We'll take it. And I'm like, what? So commissions are very, very difficult. So there's, for me, again, I have a pretty good education in the art world, meaning I become friends and through collecting art and through some of my friends down here, I become friends with some very, very large secondary art dealers. So I have a good understanding of the inner works of the art world but when it comes to commissions you got two options one is fuck you i'm the artist you're not going to tell me what to do and this is my artwork or if you want to sell more art it's whatever you want we're going to figure it out and we're going to go from there and that's kind of where i'm at but i i guess kind of secretively in some deceiving way i let them think that they're winning but they're not you know there's like a fine line on that also but I mean, I've had just recently did a commission work that literally I did not like at the end. They wanted like a number in the middle of these hearts. I just didn't like it. And I was kind of upset selling it. Like, take, you know, I, I kind of didn't want it hanging on someone's wall. The background was amazing. They asked me to add one final component. And I think it ruined the whole work. But I was already so deep into it. I was like, you know what? Screw it. Um. So a question for you, how do you keep track of, or do you keep track of what galleries have what piece, what collectors have bought what piece, who has bought commissions? Do you use like a, a inventory system or a software package or an Excel spreadsheet or like, or nothing at all? Okay. Um, I don't do this properly. There are unbelievable inventory uh, products specifically tailored towards the art world. I do not use any of them. Um, I remember every single piece of artwork I've sold since I started. That's just my memory. Um, and I can't remember what I I can't remember what I ate for lunch today. For God's sakes! Listen, I've been you know I, I remember every single piece of artwork I sold. I knew I sold it too. I don't know exactly sometimes when a gallery sells it with the end collectors, but I know what the gallery pieces they've gotten and they've sold. I remember everything. Cause I, I'll tell you why. Number one, I can look back on my Instagram. I can look on my website and I remember whatever it may be. That is not the correct way to do it, but I'm not. Yes. You're yes. You need to keep, keep track of your art as a business, but if you want to get somewhere in the art world, like fucking make art and sell it, dude. Stop worrying about all that other nonsense. Like if you can't sell your art and you have this great inventory system, like it doesn't matter. The first and most important thing is, is to sell your art. That's why we're here. You know, 90 something percent of artists don't sell their work. You know, if I'm focusing so, on all that other stuff. So I think probably if you could balance the infrastructure and that, that's great. But to me, it's sell, 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 and then we'll figure out how to keep track and do whatever we need to do. I mean, I use QuickBooks, so I have every single painting I've ever sold. You know, I have a receipt for, I, I invoice every single gallery for every single work, so I can look back through that if I wanted to. But I don't, like, sit there and, and keep track of, like, you know, I have a whiteboard in my thing with 23 pieces on it I need to make now that are written in all different, you know, 
erasable marker and with stars next to it and like stuff like that. And there are times where I literally have forgotten of a piece I have to make because I didn't write it down. So uh, in terms of, so that's a good question. Uh, production wise, how many pieces are you making? What's your output on a weekly basis, give or take? On a weekly basis? I don't even get one piece done in a week, typically. I'm lucky if I can get one done in a week. But do you work on multiple pieces at the same time? I work on multiple pieces at the same time, depending on my mood. You know, I could sit down and bang out a piece in a day or two, you know, two or three days. Like I just did a Superman and Wonder Woman and I, I saw the Hulk commission. I had this idea. I was pissed off at everything going on in my life. And I was like, I'm not making anything that I'm supposed to make now. I'm going to make two more pieces right now. And I literally came home with the pieces at night and sat at my kitchen table with a brush and and paint and got it all over the goddamn place in my house and painted them and finished them. And those each took me two or three days. So it really, it really depends. Every work is different. I have works that have been sitting in my place for a year and a half that I stare at that I have no idea. I have works on my wall in my house that are just this like ornate detailed background of layers of everything. And I never put anything on top of it. I just like the way they look until all of a sudden one day I'm like, you know, I would like this on top. I'm very so, like methodical. It's not really a good thing at the same time, or maybe it is a good thing. So one of the interesting things, and I think this is like a framing thing, and this goes to kind of you and kind of price because you're you're you know your your work is priced relatively well, and it seems to to move right. Like art is one of those things that price isn't necessarily a determinant to to make it sell less. Sometimes high price could actually make it sell more. Um, and this goes to, I guess, some of the people, um, in the room, like, you know, I've done it before. Like, I'm always worried that my pricing too high and my pricing too much or my pricing too low. Like, oh, I want it to move. If I sell it for 500 bucks or 5,000 bucks, like what is the differential on, does that actually make it move or not make it move? Um, and you know, I, I think obviously just cause you come from a financial background where you came from, um, you know, where the, the the urge for you to sell your art, to sell it at a hundred isn't worth it or a thousand isn't worth it versus selling it at 10,000. I, I think that's just interesting for, um, Hey, Jared, you got to mute when you're moving stuff around. <laughs> Thanks. Um, the, Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. You get the kitchen. Um, you get, uh, but I just think it's for some of the other artists in the room, um, in terms of about thinking about price and how they, I know a lot of people, myself included, because you want to sell art so bad, like how we think about price and how we think about how we should price our work and that it would never sell for X or we're scared to sell it for X or we're scared to even ask for X. Um, just, I think this is a good context of sometimes if you just kind of, you get out there and you set a floor and you and you kind of say, this is what it, what it is and what it's going to be, you know, the the people buying are the people don't necessarily, you know, don't necessarily know whether like what your background is they just know that this is the price and you like the work uh, i am confused I, I don't know if that was very clear what i was trying to get across but hopefully someone gets it um does anybody else in the group or in the audience have any questions or anything they want to jump in and ask yeah i'm, I'm struggling with that ryan you're breaking up a little bit now i'm trying to uh, up my game i'm tired of you know can you hear me now yeah, that's way better. Nope, we lost you again. I turned it off. You can't. No, I think you got to get to a place where it's like a, a cleaner internet.
Yeah, Jared, I had a question. This is Mars. Uh, so when it comes to the supports that you, like you said, acrylic and the special printing that you went through, how did you go about deciding what was the best presentation for the price point or for your customers? How did that happen? This has all been a learning process for me, guys. Like I have no education in this. I have just done it all on my own and have done things and made things the way that I want them to look. I think that's an important thing as an artist is in some way, shape, or form, got to stay true to my craft. I'm making things that I would want to hang on my walls in my house. Um, so as far as it goes, um, I don't know if I exactly understand your question, but I, are you asking like, why did I decide to do some acrylic mounted and some on canvas or? Yes. I started with acrylic mount because I was able to produce things the way that I wanted them to look using Photoshop because I couldn't do it with my hands. And now I've taught myself how to use a brush spray paint and screens to get what i want onto a canvas so i went that route because i didn't know what i was doing if i'm being honest with you i i don't really do as many as those people still contact me to do them but it's not something that i would go out and make to sell now it would be something that someone would contact me to buy so basically you started with more of a digital art presence and then you kind of evolved into an actual uh, more like hands-on no first i started all hands-on sold a bunch of pieces loved some other work that i saw the guy told me he painted everything i contacted a framer to find out i contacted a framer to find out how can i get my piece mounted on acrylic he's like you can't yours is all painted and i was like well this guy and he's like he's full of shit and he's lying and it turns out he was full of shit lying because i went to go see his work in person and it's a print and I started to go that route because I thought it was really cool. I was very intrigued by that modern, sleek look hanging on a wall. But as I continued to grow as an artist, I felt not, there's nothing wrong with doing digital art at all. Art is art. Art is whatever you want it to be. It doesn't really matter. I mean, again, some of the most successful selling artists on the world don't even make their art. They're just the conceptual idea behind it. And... I just wasn't comfortable with that as a person. I wanted to grow as an artist. I wanted to like learn the craft more. I wanted to create things with my hands and so on and so forth. The digital thing just for me wasn't fulfilling. So I moved back towards something else and I taught myself again how to screen print, how to do all of these things that no one ever showed me how to do. And it's been a fun process learning it. Can, can I ask... Um, can I ask about, like, you have some uh, coloring book sort of stuff on your Instagram? Okay. Uh, is that where you're moving? Because you're talking about, like, exploring new directions in your work. and Which which coloring book are you looking back all the like way back the, in my... Like the uh, rhinoceros? That's the first thing I ever touched in my life, or was. That's from when I first started five years ago. That's Did a coloring book that I colored in. I didn't illustrate it. That's a coloring oh. book that I colored in. I added some things to the illustration and I added the shading and whatever else I did, but no, I did not illustrate that. Oh, okay. I was just curious. Hey, Jared. Um, this has been a great conversation. This is awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, I had a question about 
you said you can lose a sale by telling the story of the piece or like what went into it. Um, I have trouble with that because I have a lot of people ask me, what's the story behind it? And I like to tell them. And then I realize I might have gone too far. Like, what do you normally say when somebody asks you about that? I, a lot of the time, like to ask them, like, what do you, what do you see when you look at this? Like, what is it that about my artwork that attracted you to it? And then I'll use that in my story to make sure that I don't lose what they're focused on also. You Solid. understand what I'm saying? So I'll get yeah, some up from. So I was a broker on Wall Street. And you'd co call, and everyone would call and ask for an order. And then someone would say, No, I got to talk to my wife. And you'd rebuttal and you'd say, Oh, you don't need to talk to your wife. You... I would call a person up and say, Hey, Mr. Jones, it's Sharon Schwab. Do you have money in the bank? Do you have to call your wife? Do you have to do this? And I'd get every rebuttal out of the way before I asked them for an order of stock. So when they, I asked them for the order, they had nothing to say except for, Okay, buy me the stock or hang up the phone on me. So I like to get some information up front and understand what they're seeing in it. Because again, art means something different to every single person. Just because I see something one way doesn't mean you're going to look at it the same way. So the truth is, if I'm going to tell you exactly why, there are some people that you can tell when you're talking to that like want to know, like, oh my God, I love this piece. Tell me more about it. And they just want to hear like some, you know, really what went into it. And they don't care what your story is, that they're, they're, they want it. But most people like a piece because they like something about it. And most people who buy art aren't educated in art. Most of the people that buy art and quote unquote, I'm going to call it decorative art. There's blue chip art that you could go buy a cause piece right now and you can go to another gallery. You can sell it. You can get a loan out of the bank from it. It's worth roughly what you paid for it on paper. You go buy a $20,000 cause print numbered print from you know, an edition that just came out and it's worth 20 grand. Maybe you'll go to a gallery, they'll give you 18 for it. Maybe in six months from now, it's worth $25,000. Then there's decorative art. I know guys who sell decorative art, you know, for $150,000 for painting. And once you leave with that work, it is worth $0. No one's going to buy it from you unless you convince or find someone that wants to buy it from you. It's worth nothing. I think that's also another very important thing. Most artists like to think that we're like, we're, we're like important. I'm a huge artist. I'm in galleries. My art's worth, my art is worth shit. I'm just being honest with you. If you buy my art for 10 grand and go hang it on your house, you trying to resell that, you're not going to walk into a gallery and be like, I got a Jared 12. Will you buy it from me? It's not happening right now. Hopefully one day that's different. But I think most artists like, oh, I'm in a gallery and someone just bought a work for 12 grand. My work, my work is worth 12. And, and then they start portraying that to people and they're selling a false bullshit idea. I'm upfront with people. They like my work. They're worth a lot of money. I'm like, you know, that's it. If you want to buy investable art, I'll introduce you to a gallery owner. You can buy a piece of art for 100 grand. It's worth $100,000. But you love my work. Enjoy what you buy. You know, things like that. Thank you. Yeah, with the story uh, aspect, I w went to a museum opening of a modern artist as a young guy, and there were a whole bunch of suits there. And as he w went around to each piece, he would say, well, this one was about the oil spill and when blah, blah, blah. And then he told these weird stories, and I totally didn't get that from the work. And when we were done, I was like, hey, you were telling him that this one piece was about the oil spill? He's like, oh, that's just all bullshit. He's like, I just told him what they wanted to hear. He said, if I told him what it really meant, it said it, it would blow their mind. I don't and believe they would just in be like confused. I don't believe in fully like completely lying to people necessarily, but stretching the truth maybe. But again, dude, the art world is such a fucked up place. Jeff Koons comes to market however many years ago with a Popeye. 
sculpture, one of his like glass sculptures, kind of like his balloon animal, but it's a Popeye. It sells for $16.5 million at auction. You guys probably saw this on uh, one of the documentaries. Six weeks later, the same exact work, that guy goes back to the auction to resell it. It sells for 60 something million dollars. You're going to tell me that that piece of art went from X price to that price. You know, art is a game. In the big art world, it's a trophy hunting. People want to own it. Same thing in the stock market. Hedge funds invest in private companies because they don't want to be the one who missed out on the next Alibaba or the next Facebook or whatever it is. When it comes to the high-end art market, it's the same thing. When it comes to my type of art, people are buying it because they like the piece of art. Maybe there are some people that think maybe one day it'll be worth a lot more money, but people are buying it because they're like, shit, my couch is black. This piece is like black and white. I want a monochromatic piece. It's awesome. I love Chanel. I want it. So, you know, so how do you decide that, that at what point do you decide to, that you've obviously raised prices over time, which I assume is a function of demand. Um, but like, how do you decide that that's, you know, obviously you said, but per square foot, and like, that's kind of how you, you kind of keep it as a reference point. But like, how do you decide that, Hey, my work's worth eight grand or my work's worth two grand. Like I know a lot of us struggle with what we should price it at and the, 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 the ability to close, I guess, to get it from, Hey, somebody's interested in your art on Instagram through that whole process, through closing at kind of the high price you want and being able to like cut people out that you don't think will meet that criteria. Okay. So you're going to go sell a piece of art to someone that is buy some art, has some piece in their house and they're going to, you know, you say it's $500. That's it. You're stuck at $500. You busted your ass to make this piece you're in love with, you're attached to it, you're selling it for $500. Everyone else who knows them finds out they have it, they want one too. Your price point is like $500. You can ask whatever you want for your art. I asked stupid amounts of money for my art in the beginning. I was like, I want to connect with a wealthy group because that's who buys art. The people who have money are the ones who are going to spend money on art. Most people who collect art. Well, it's just It's discretionary. Have good, yeah, have good amounts of money. So I thought to myself, I'm going to ask a high price. When I did my first show at Basel, I was like selling, you know, I was asking like $8,000 for some pieces, $6,000, you know, a 12 by 12 plexiglass. I was like $2,200. Like, art is worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And I found like a niche and people started buying my work at that price. But then every once in a while, I'll get a call from someone. My art... Uh, my art advisor says that for a new artist of your caliber, it's only worth fifteen hundred dollars. So I'll give you fifteen hundred dollars for it. I'm like, I'm asking eight grand. It cost me two thousand dollars to make the piece, then I got to ship it to you. So I'm going to lose a thousand dollars by sending it to you. Like, I appreciate your offer. Thank you very much. And that's it. You got to walk away from some things. If you want to create a price point, you got to stick to it and stay there. And that's it. This is how much my you know you can price it wherever you want. I think starting at a decent price because I have some friends who are selling paintings the same size as mine and they sell, you know, five, 10 paintings a month for $1,200. And they're wondering how I said, ask, ask for more. Uh, Less people will buy your work, but you're going to, you'll be selling less work at a higher price. Uh, A good friend of mine always said, you can always go down in price. You can never go up. Exactly. Like if you start at 10, you can always end up at five. If you start at one, you can never get to five. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you get into a gallery where the owner is like, okay, 
you know, I like this piece. It's 48 by 48. I think we should price these at 15,000. I'm like, wait a minute. I only sell these for like eight. She wants to sell them for 15. Oh my God. Like I'm in a gallery. They want to, you know, sell for 15. So the next thing you know, I'm telling everyone else, my, this piece is, this size is 15 grand. And okay. No, thanks. A little too much for me. Is there something, you know, can we go a little small, whatever it may be. So I'm just very open to kind of like, it takes a lot of time to make these pieces. I put a lot of work and effort into it. But at the end of the day, it's like there are guys who have went to art school, spent their entire life, years painting. They'll, they'll spend a hundred hours on a piece. And it's like, if I could create something like that, I would like literally drop that at the moment. And they're asking $200 for it. You know, so art is subjective, so I just got to be, you know, whatever I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask. It's just So sometimes the key is to have the courage to ask for more, even though you might not have the competence that, that, or, or the self-worth, if you will, that the, the work is worth that. Exactly. Like the most important thing you said, you can always go down. You can't say, oh, you know, and be like, I'm going to be risky here. Normally I sell these for 800. I'm going to say $1,000. The guy says yes. And you're like, I mean, 1500. They're like, no, you said 1000. You can't go up. You can only go down. So my thought is, is that, and don't forget, I was making pieces that were expensive to make. So I was like, wait a minute, you know, I got to build that into it and so on and so forth. And then I started going back to canvas. So there's a lot of like different, there's so many different paths in the art world that people go that make it. There are guys that go from, you know, making street art. And next thing you know, they're, you know, just tagging and doing whatever. And then they're huge in galleries. They get picked up. There are guys who go to art school and make art for 30 years, don't sell anything and they die. And next thing you know, they're, you know, change the entire art movement in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, this is a sick question, but do you know how many paintings Vincent van Gogh sold while he was alive? Does anyone know the answer to that question? Anybody? He nope. sold none. None? He sold, he sold only to his brother. He sold one painting his entire life while he was alive. Now look at what he did with art history. So there's different paths. Do you want to change art history or do you want to make a business out of it? If you want to change art history, charge whatever you want. Don't charge a lot for your work. Tell your story and who the hell knows what happens. Me, I want to make money while I'm alive. I want to make money. I want my kids to have a nice life. I want to have a good time, which is very different than most people. My good time, I don't drink or do anything like that. But I, I, I like, you know, I want to enjoy now. What's the point when I'm dead? But there is part of me now that is, as I'm continuing my art journey, that wants to do something. I don't know what that is. I don't know where exactly I want to go with it, but I want something bigger and more than I have now. And I don't mean that in a financial standpoint. So if you're in the art world to make a difference, chances are you're not going to sell your artwork right now. Maybe when you die or whatever, so on and so forth. If you want to sell your artwork now, I got to market myself. I have to be you know, willing to like get on Instagram, go out, talk to people, do all of these things. No matter where I am, I'm talking about my art. When I see another artist, I talk about my art. When I see someone looking at a piece of art, I talk about my art. When I'm at Starbucks, someone says something about art, I'm talking about art. I mean, it's like in my life, that's all I talk about. So sell, 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 sell. If you want to make money selling your art. If you want to be a famous artist, I don't necessarily know that that's definitely the route. And it depends what kind of fame you want. You have these guys on Instagram that are huge followings, 130, 150,000 followers, sell artwork like crazy. You walk into a gallery or art basil, no one's ever heard a goddamn word about them, nothing. Not one thing about them. And they're making, you know, a million dollars a year selling art. 
making hats, selling right. t-shirts, doing all the stuff. That's not the route I want to take. I want to make art. I don't want to, I don't want to be just a brand of like Jared Schwab. I, I want some happy medium in between where I have a brand, but I also stay true to my art and I have some sort of exclusivity and owning one of my pieces. Right. I think that the idea is that, and the idea of this, this kind of uh, clubhouse and this podcast, if you will, is, is to, um, that the, that, and the plan is to talk to a bunch of different artists who've taken a bunch of different paths. But like you said, there is a half a dozen, there's dozens and dozens, an infinite number of paths to success and a successful art artist career. Um, and so the idea of talking to people like you and the different people we're going to speak with is how they've kind of found this success and how they've kind of come across these things. And hopefully, you know, the people who either didn't see it or didn't have the idea or didn't take the risk or didn't do something um, can take some of this knowledge and kind of clip those pieces together to improve their practice and their career and hopefully their sales. I mean, I'll give you a really simple way if you want to become and start making money from selling art, not the route that I choose. Make some cool pieces, send it to some famous people for free. One of them will post it on Instagram and tag your name, and all of a sudden, you'll get a lot of likes, and people will start wanting to buy your art. There's a lot of different ways. There's no, there's no single line to the finish line when it comes to the art business. There's many different ways, and there's many different ideologies of, of what you want to make for yourself as an artist. And some people are willing to do anything to make money. And there are some people who are willing to do nothing to make money and just want to build a, a name for themselves in the art world and be in a museum. Again, for me, I want to be somewhere in the middle. You know, I, I don't want to just be sending people art to throw my name out there just, you know, for the hell of it. You know, I want to know that, like, this person... This person who normally gets everything for free saw my art, and I convinced them to freaking buy the piece of art versus giving it to them for free. I've had I've had hundreds of people approach me and say, "Hey, you'll make a piece of art for him and he'll post it on Instagram." And I say, "Yeah, I don't do that. Thank you. That's just not me." But I mean, that's I know people who make a piece a week and send it to somebody famous. Hey, Jared, what's your belief system on uh, supporting other artists? Because I've noticed you talk about buying work from other artists. What, what, is, how, what is your uh, belief on that? I am huge on supporting other artists. I just bought two work from an artist in New Jersey. Um, I, am, I think it's very important to have a good rapport with the other artists around you. Number one, you never know where they're going to end up in their career. And depending on how you treated them, might be a door door open for you somewhere. But, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for anyone in the art world. I, I didn't have the same ideology when I first came in. I was very like, I'm buying a piece of art. I'm going to get the sickest deal known to mankind. They're asking 10000 at the gallery. I'm going to go behind the gallery's back, call the artist, and get the piece of $1,500 shipped to me in Florida. And I thought I was awesome. Now that's something that would never, ever go through my mind. So I'm a huge fan of speaking to other artists and I don't like to give advice because I don't really know what the hell I'm doing, but suggestions and, you know, helping other people with other artists call me to ask a question. Like, I, I can't tell you how many people have been like, yo, you're like the coolest artist for somebody your size. Cause everyone else that I try to approach or talk to is always an arrogant asshole that has as many followers as you on Instagram. Not that I'm that big on Instagram, but I try to, you know, I want to be treated the way that, I, I want to treat other artists the way that I want to be treated. Like I'm very curious about things and I just feel like the, 
for me at least in life, the more you give away, the more I get in return. So I'm a huge fan of supporting anyone in the arts from any aspect of the arts, whether it be music, painting, anything. So be nice. Yep. Don't be like Sean. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, it's as I've promised uh, those who have been in this this podcast that we don't drag on infinitely. We usually cap it at 90 minutes. Um, and so we're about at the 90 minutes time. Um, if anybody has a last question, let me know. All I'd like to say is it's nice to actually make it through uh, a whole interview without actually mentioning NFTs once um, and that people actually still make real art and still uh, focus on that part of their career. So that's actually gives me some joy. Um, uh, anybody else out there have anything they want to ask or add? I will take that as a no. Um, Jared, thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, I, yes, think this thank was, I think this was like super helpful and super interesting. Um, kind of the way you approach it and kind of the way you price and kind of the way you've gone about building your career. Um, and thank you for sharing with us and spending time with us. Um, and um, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm just going to leave with one last thing is if I can give one piece of advice, it's, it's stay humble. No matter how much money I make selling art, there's always somebody that's much better at me that's selling more art than I am. And there's always something that I could learn from someone else. The second I think that I'm better than everyone else is when everything falls apart. Awesome, guys. Uh, that's another uh, TMFA community. This is the business we've chosen. And we'll see you next week.